joining us now our good friend Mr. Al Bat from somewhere in the Good Earth Village. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Love Mavis Staples. Yeah. Wow. She's, uh, she is so good. But I, well, I hope everybody's okay and just having a wonderful, wonderful day. It's, uh, it's pretty nice. I went for a nice walk this morning, and it was just, uh, oh, pleasant would be the right word. Now, where exactly is the Good Earth Village for those who have never heard of it? Uh, Spring Valley. Okay. Outside of Spring Valley, and I actually, uh, I'm at a little park, I think it's called Willow Park here, uh, searching for a a proper phone signal. So I'm I'm parked here, and a lot of bicyclists going by, and a lot of big trucks hauling cement, it looks like to me, or concrete. So it's, uh, Spring Valley is very beautiful, Uh, a lot of color in the trees now, starting to see some uh, nice bunches of red in uh, the maple so it's 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 a beautiful day to be over here so looking forward to the rest of the day here i, I do want to thank everybody at bancroft estates the pillars of mankato the minnetonka bird club the hormel nature center uh beaver creek colorado where uh, everybody's doing pretty darn good there in beaver creek i would think and Austin Audubon for letting me be in their presence. And I also want to say thank you to the good folks that helped put, make this possible. I visited the Vietnam Traveling Memorial Wall exhibit to pay respects to the names of family members etched upon it. It's a replica of the wall in Washington, D.C., where I've left tears in another war. My father-in-law was part of the first Marines to land on the assault on Iwo Jima, and he was a farm boy far from home and never talked about that bloody battle other than telling me his watch had broken during the landing, and he never knew what time it was. And, uh, you know, when you see walls like that, uh, those lists of names, they make you remember other things. I remember my father-in-law. He was a good man who didn't enjoy cold weather, and would put on a coat when eating ice cream. So that's how much he didn't like cold weather. Uh, you got something from Rich. I did. Rich uh, said... So, uh, Rich, go ahead. He saw a, yeah, a pond by Gaylord, or Gaylord. Oh, I said, did I say Gaylord? Yes. I'm so sorry, good <laughs> folks at Gaylord. I know better than that. You know, I'm, I must be thinking of uh, somebody with that last name. But Rich saw by Gaylord... Uh, he was wondering, big white bird, and he was wondering uh, birds, and he was wondering if they're swans or snow geese and how you can tell the difference. Uh, you know, swans are much bigger, but when you just see they're where they're all the same species, it's hard to tell if that's a big one or a little one. Swans have much longer necks. So if you can see their necks, they are really long. Uh, snow geese are short in comparison, but maybe the easiest, black wing tips. So if you see black wingtips, those are snow geese. So, Rich, always great to hear from you. Uh, Tim Scott uh, sent me a thing from one of the, oh, I'm not going to remember which one. It's like a word of the day. Word of the day, and that's not it. Word of the day, but it says emails that send you out with an interesting word each day. And uh, the word of the particular day was oology. 
and it's O-O-L-O-G-Y, and I bet a lot of folks know what that is. It's the study or collecting of birds' eggs, which at one oh. time was qu- quite a quite a thing, and uh, uh, sadly, they even made some impact on certain species of birds because they were out there collecting all their eggs all the time, what, real hard to. What did they do with catch. them? Did they eat them for breakfast, or why were they collecting these? They would uh, poke a little hole in them, probably, and drain them, oh. and then uh, put them on. Uh, a shelf, and oh. uh, or maybe some kind of wall hanging, and trade with your friends like I did with baseball cards oh. when I was a kid. So it was quite a hobby. Wow! And I, uh, my understanding, I've read some books that there's still people out there doing that. And of course, most it's illegal most places, not in all parts of the world, but certainly here to be doing that. I suppose it's um, like collecting rocks. You collect them, but it's a lot more fragile. I would think. Yeah, and uh, who knows why we collect the things we do. Uh, I I have no idea. I, I collect bills. It's real easy. They send you a bill. If you don't pay it, they send you another one. So then you have one to pay and one for your collection. So I recommend that highly for everybody. But, yeah, oology is just a, it's a most of us would think that is really a strange hobby. But, uh, you know, we think pretty much everybody else's hobby is strange. Right. It comes right down to it. Uh, Tom Steinman, who listens from Garrison, Minnesota, said, Alan, I built a barred owl nest. Not just any owl nest, but the mother of all nests. He got some great ideas from Greg Gilman, an owl expert, and that got him inspired. He said, now to see if an actual owl will like it. And he sent me photos of it. It's quite a nest. Wait, that's a thing? People build nests for, for birds? That's... Uh, that's another thing. Do they build them for eagles too? Yeah. Oh my goodness! It is. Oh, wow. He's, uh, he not only built a nest, he erected this tall oh. pole, and then he hoisted the owl nest up there. And he said, "Hard work. Some owl will owe me big time." <laughs> and I think that's right, Tom. And boy, I'll keep my fingers crossed. I hope you hope you get one there. So uh, if. Um, Oh, if they're looking for a really nice home, there's one. How likely is that that a bird will go to a nest that was built by a human, though? It depends on the bird. You know, a lot of folks have put out a wren nest, and uh, boy, it's just a wren nest is pretty much anything with a hole in it that sure. a wren can get into. So your chances of getting one there are pretty good. Uh, bluebird boxes that are put in the right location, you've got a pretty good chance of that. Uh, I was at uh, Mary and Bill Bailey's. They live by Chatfield. They showed me a bat house that they put up on the side of one of their outbuildings, an implement building there. And underneath that was a lot of uh, proof that bats had taken up residence there. So it was really nice. In past, I think I had young folks come in and build probably 250 bathhouses. It was back in a time where we didn't know where to put them. Put them on a tree wherever you want to put them. <laughs> I don't know that I ever heard from one of those kids Aww. that a bathhouse had any tenants. But uh, Mary and Bill have it, and they said they see the bats coming and going. So. So it depends on what kind of, uh, and I realize they're not birds, but it depends on what kind of bird you're trying to attract. So I'm guessing barred owls would be a little more difficult, but there's still a possibility. 
And boy, if I was a, a barred owl, I would snap up that nest that Tom <laughs> built. It's, uh, it is, uh, here's where we say oofta. It's really something. Uh, Scott Marpy and Diane Honsey, they live down in Emmons, uh, had a pillated woodpecker in their yard. Terry Taylor of Austin, a good friend, he said last year he fledged 157 bluebirds from his boxes, and he had 89 this year. So he said the numbers were down, but he said he still felt kind of good that he had 89. And I'm saying 89, that's from my memory. I know it was 157 last year because I'd written it down last year, but it was, uh, if not 89, it was within shouting distance. And Terry and his wife, Sherry, had three pillated woodpeckers in their yards, and they were uh, pretty happy about seeing those beautiful big birds. Uh, an Austin man, whose name I did not get, said he put up a hummingbird feeder this year, and in 20 minutes he had a hummingbird feeding at it. So he put it in the right location. Larry Dolphin of Austin, rural Austin, saw a palm warbler. Uh, Dave Bartke saw a red-shouldered hawk in Steele County. Bob Williams had a Nelson Sparrow in Brown County. Pete Hoger had a red-breasted mercanser in Redwood County. Uh, Brian Smith saw a rough-legged hawk at the Sleepy Eye Airport. Seems like an appropriate place for a hawk. And uh, that'd be in Brown County. Uh, Roy Zimmerman saw a barred owl in Redwood County. Kimberly Emerson saw a Nelson Sparrow in Waseca County. Aaron Peach spotted a yellow rail. Wow, that's a, that's a great bird to see. Now, all birds are great birds to see. But that was in Nicollet County. Jeff Stevenson, an eastern metalark in Redwood County. Jacob Etbauer saw a black bellied whistling duck near Nicollet. And it makes you wonder if it's an escapee. I know they're coming. We're starting to see them. I saw a bunch of them in Kansas not long ago. So maybe they're uh, they're coming this far, at least. Maybe they're near Nicollet. Uh, Brian Smith also saw a sandhill crane at Perch Creek WMA in Martin County and also a Nelson Sparrow there. So a lot of great birds coming through in the fall. We always think of spring as a time to see these but boy a lot of uh, a lot of rarities that can be seen in the fall as well with the warblers they're just not so colorful and a lot of the warblers have gone through i'm seeing a lot of yellow rumped warblers uh, well pretty much everywhere i look i'm seeing yellow rumped warblers and white-throated sparrows so it's really neat to see them i'm seeing some palm warblers but while I'm out there walking around, uh, multicolored Asian lady beetles bugged and bit me several times. Uh, they are botherations. I think that's what that word was made for, uh, botherations, multicolored Asian lady beetles. If you walk anywhere where there's flowers, good folks, you'll probably see asters blooming. Uh, they bloom late into the year. They provide a myriad of vibrant colors. Boy, there's white, blue, lilac pink, scarlet, purple. Most of them have those golden central discs. When I was a kid, and I may I remember this vaguely, I think they were called Christmas daisies because they bloom so late. They, they didn't bloom at Christmas, but and 
then sometimes I think maybe they were called winter daisies, but I think I'm going to go with Christmas daisies. Uh, that's the first thing that came to mind. I'm seeing spotted touch-me-not flowers. They're a bright orange to orange-yellow. They have variable amounts of red-orange spots and markings. It's an annual. Uh, they reproduce from seed each spring. And the common name refers to those seed pods popping open at a touch. As a kid, I love to go down there and touch them with my finger and just see them popping throw those seeds all over. It's also known as jewel weed because the orange oh, flowers yeah. glisten in the sunlight, or maybe it's because the blossoms hang like pendants from the branches, or maybe it's because jewels of water collect on the edges of the leaves, or maybe it's because of all three of those things. Some say the plant sap is an antidote to the itch of poison ivy and stinging nettle. And I have something on my elbow. I don't know what I got into, but I got the little bumps on my elbow that itches. So I'm going to have to either find a jewel weed or make my way to a drugstore to find some kind of cream or ointment to put on there. Is, uh, does plantain, it's not good to have a rip. Does plantain work for that, too? Because that's another plant I think if you rub on it can help with itching or, or something. I know it's, it's supposed to help something. So find one of those leaves and just rub that on and see what works. Yeah, I, maybe I'll just uh, spend the day just rubbing everything I can find on <laughs> Except there. the poison ivy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, like I say, I don't know what I got into. Uh, it's, nettles don't bother me, so I, I'm afraid it's probably poison ivy. Or, uh, poison ivy is beautiful right now. It's beautiful red, and I've never been bothered by poison ivy oh. before. And I know... Um, I went to, oh, out the park years ago when I was a kid. A guy held up poison ivy, and he said, you know, it's never bothered him at all. And, uh, of course, it bothered him after that. Uh, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to tick off Mother Nature by challenging her. So, But I've never been bothered before, but I probably won't be able to say that again. But part of the reason I've never been bothered before is I... I recognize it, you know, the old leaves of three, leave it be, and uh, I avoided it. But it is a beautiful red now, as are Virginia Creeper and Sumac are the three, mm-hmm. and then Red Maples are the big ones. And I was out at walking at Rasmussen Woods, and I saw the Virginia Creepers. Um, they have five-fingered ivy, and they're climbing up the trunks of dead trees out there. And they turned the trunks into this beautiful red color. So we have trees with red trunks, and what a beautiful thing to see. Uh, oh, when I was walking there, somebody asked me if uh, this certain tree was a dogwood. It was a gray dogwood. Hmm. And the old joke says, and I bet everybody's heard this, the old joke says, you can always tell dogwood by its bark. Well, <laughs> if, it, if it has leaves on it, <laughs> if you gently tear a leaf, there'll be these strings will appear between the uh, the torn halves on the main vein. And if that happens, it's more than likely a dogwood. So that's much easier in telling by its bark. So I thought you meant literally dogwood with bark, rough, rough. You know what it might it's a bad I, joke. Some people might hear that. I don't. Uh, I, I just don't. So they were, uh, I didn't get their names, really nice people, a man and his son, and they were, 
Uh, I think they were almost impressed that I could identify a dog. One. I'm sure they got over it as they talked to me after a while. But yeah. just for a moment there, I was uh, I was golden. I sat outside in the dark the other night and I listened to an eastern screech owl pair. There wasn't any screeching that I could discern, but there was trilling, whinnying, barking, chuckling, and rattling. I heard uh, the yip howls of coyotes. They're short howls that rise and fall in pitch, and they're punctuated with a staccato yips, yaps, and barks. And another name for coyotes that I hear a lot are song dogs. And their pups were born in the spring, and they're ready to disperse and find new territories, probably starting in September and through November. And this yip howling I heard is a communication between the animals that's a type of bonding within a family group while also serving as a territorial display. And the yip howling appeared to be coming from different locations, from different directions, but I wasn't surrounded by coyotes. It's an auditory illusion known as the Beaugest effect, wherein a few coyotes sound like many. And it's named for the there was a novel and I believe a movie, Beaugest, in which French troops propped up their dead to make attackers believe they were a larger force than they truly were. And I guess that's what the coyotes are doing, <laughs> is making us think there's there's a lot more of them out there than there really are. I stopped at a pond uh, earlier, and I watched whirligig beetles in a pond. What's that? Um uh, I, people have seen them. They, I describe them as the bumper cars of the beetle world. These little guys, they look like watermelon seeds whirling about in circles. And each beetle can carry an air bubble, allowing it to dive. So they're just uh, they're the coolest little guys. I watch them there. And if you frighten them, they will dive. Otherwise, they're pretty much on the surface. and They are eating whatever they can find. I found some yellow jackets this morning, and they are carnivorous. They feed on other insects like flies, bees, and caterpillars. They also feed on spiders, uh, fruits, carrion, flower nectar, and then our picnic fare. And they forage up to a mile from their nest. So you might say, I never had yellow jackets here before, and I got them. Well, they could be coming up to a mile away. And we notice them as they try to steal our sandwiches and beverages <laughs> or swarm around apple cores in a compost heap. Pears. Yellow jacket colonies grow largest in late summer and early fall when their food sources begin to diminish. Only the queen survives until next year. So they're in kind of a, oh, they're running out of food and they're running out of time and so if they're going to die right. anyway, because they're, I have you know pears that fall on the ground, so many pears, and they're just swarming with with them. If they're going to die anyway, why are they eating? Why do they bother? <laughs> I I guess they're going to be the one that lives forever, like uh, about every human at one time or another in his or her life is saying, you know, I'll probably you know, I'll probably live Methuselah. That was nothing. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll lap him. Okay, and then we discover that's probably not going to happen. So they uh, they may not know, and they're still hungry, and they still have this huge colony to help feed. 
So they're still out there working away. But the queen uh, is the only one that's... You mentioned the queen is the only one that survives, so are there larvae or eggs or something that, that bring more back next year then in the... Yep, she starts all over again. Oh. She has a daunting task, and then she will lay eggs, and they'll hatch, and she'll raise some, and then they, they'll go through this whole procedure again where the colony will just grow and grow and grow, and then we'll hit the cold season, and they'll go through this whole thing again oh, with okay. a new queen. So a listener, a kind listener, said thanks to KMSU. Well, I agree hey. with that. Thanks to KMSU. Do box elder bugs bite? Uh, box elder bugs are true bugs, and they belong to the same family as, oh, stink bugs, cicadas are probably uh, some, uh, they're a relative in there also. It, they're typically bugs with piercing and sucking mouth parts. So adult box elder bugs are black, they have orange or red markings. And in late summer or fall, they leave the trees where they were feeding to find protected areas for winter. If they get in the house, they may stain draperies or other light-colored surfaces. If you crush them, they will produce an unpleasant odor when crushed, as I think humans probably would, too. Uh, they like warm areas. They're attracted to buildings with a large southern or western exposure, I I've often said I think they like white houses, and I say that because I live in a white house, and they just seem to find it very attractive. But they find buildings standing taller than the surrounding structures or maybe a building isolated on flat ground. They find those enticing. I've had, uh, uh, I've heard from people saying their Uncle Herb or somebody was bitten by a box elder bug, but I don't know. Box elder bugs are harmless, and I know the entomology department at the University of Minnesota says they do not sting or bite. They're not attracted to food like ants. They aren't the alligators of the insect world. There isn't a single instance of anyone being bugged by a box elder bug. They don't lay eggs in our homes. They don't eat our fabric. So compared to multicolored Asian lady beetles, box elder bugs are welcome house guests. And if you have a crack or something in your garage, maybe that they're getting in or in your home, you can do a quick uh, do-it-yourself project and just put masking or duct tape over any small opening. And that will keep the insects from entering, and then you can do a more professional job at another date. But for now, that'll keep them out. If they get in, a vacuum cleaner is an effective method of removing because they're removing them because they are sluggish, slow-moving bugs. And no, no box elder bugs suck the juices. <laughs> box elder bugs do suck the juices out of leaves. I was going to say they don't suck the juices out of humans, but that was a bad <laughs> line. So forget I even said that. They don't suck they they don't suck the juices out of humans. There I've said it twice, but they will suck it out of the leaves and the developing seeds of box elder and maple trees. But they don't siphon enough to hurt the trees. They winter in cozy crevices around their house. They eat nothing during that time. 
Again, they can release bad-smelling, tasting chemicals to discourage predators, like other insects with similar capabilities, and we think of monarch butterflies right away. These guys have bright orange or red markings to warn predators off, and if you want them off the outside of your home, you could spray the box elder bugs with a homemade concoction. Oh, make it a half cup of laundry detergent. Uh, everybody likes to use Dawn with a gallon of water, and it would do them no good, and then repeat the treatment as necessary. It doesn't so work with just water because I tried that because there's a whole bunch crawling up the uh, the shutters on the, the lake house and they're white they only like the white they didn't like the brown siding and i sprayed them with water and and they fell down for a second and then they climbed right back up so it must be the soap that does the trick i think it is and um i i tried it i i, I feel guilty <laughs> i tried it uh, some years ago just as a experiment and i used dawn soap because well that's what i had was dawn and I just sprayed a little bit, and it seemed to uh, it seemed to do them in. Uh, oh, here's a nice email or, or text. I'm sorry, email. Al, I'm sorry about your elbow. Oh, thanks. I am too. Is there poison oak in Minnesota? Uh, there oh. is not. Oh well, you know, I always uh, wondered that because you know I love oak trees and things, and I remember as a kid always looking at oak trees and thinking, is this what gives you poison? You know, are these poisonous and never knew, and we just don't even have it. So, see, I wish I would have known that as a kid so I wouldn't have worried so much. Yeah, one last thing to worry about, right. just like that song. Right. <laughs> I, we do have poison ivy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have poison sumac. And this thing on my elbow, I didn't mention this, but I suppose it could be wild parsnip. I've oh. never had any problems with it either before, but I know a lot of, I've seen some, Oh, like they look like terrible sunburn on people's arms from wild parsnip, and there's certainly wild parsnip over here, so it could be, it could also be that. So thank, uh, thank you, kind listener, for your question, and I think I'm going to live through it. It's just, you know, we need something to whine about as men. <laughs> I can't speak for women, but as a, a male, we need a little bit to whine about uh, every so often because otherwise things are just get too good, and then we get cocky, and and that's no good either. I want to thank everybody for sitting on the front porch with uh, with us. Yeah. You know, I was talking about uh, do-it-yourself projects. I completed a do-it-yourself project this week. Oh. I put a rear end in my favorite chair. So there's not much skill needed there, but and that's the way I like it. Not a lot of skill. I'm thinking back during my formative years, I had a neighbor boy. His name was Larry. He was my friend. I liked him a lot. The adult said he was double-jointed. And a book in the school library said it's called Hypermobility or Digital Hyperextensibility. His ability to extend a joint beyond the normal range was caused by genetics that brought flexible joints, loose ligaments, and flexible bones to his body. But he could, now this is on the same arm, he could take his thumb and bend it back so it touches forearm on the same arm. Oh, my. Boy, I'm just wow. trying to do that I tried now. to do it. I can't I, even come close. No. I'd have to <laughs> break something. Yeah. And I've heard it called a hitchhiker's thumb. Oh. 
And his father claimed his son could be folded enough to fit into the glove compartment. Well, my ability to sit in a comfortable chair is no mean feat like that. That draws no crowds, but I'm good with that. (laughs) And thanks for entertaining me for all those years, Larry. Remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past, thanks for listening. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. As always, Karen, I enjoy your company. Isn't that amazing? I never get sick of your company. That's well, a wonderful thing. It's so a good thing it's you. limited to just Tuesdays, or you might find you just might get <laughs> tired well, of it. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Well, Al, it's always great to have you on. We'll uh, chat with you next week. Until then, happy bird watching and enjoy the fall colors. Thank you, Karen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.